The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to A Good Goodbye with certified thanatologist Gail Rubin. She says talking about sex won't make you pregnant. Talking about funerals won't make you dead. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Gail Rubin. Welcome to today's show. I'm reporting to you from the Cremation Association of North America's convention being held in San Diego. One of the big, most uh, interesting presentations we've seen here at this convention is regarding mercury and cremation. And I'm very pleased to have with me the three people who made that presentation, Rebecca Place, Sandra Myers, and Michael LeBrant, all from the great state of Minnesota. You betcha. (laughs) And I'd like to start out with Rebecca. You're with the Minnesota Pollution Control Organization, a state. That's right, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. Okay, and what is the issue with mercury and cremation? Well, mercury is a bioaccumulative toxin, so it it occurs naturally in the environment, but it also comes from man-made sources. And once it enters the environment, it's able to be emitted into the air, and the air emissions come down with rain and precipitation onto our land and our waters, and then it's washed from the land into the water. It becomes methylmercury, which is then bioavailable to be taken up by the aquatic life. And so two-thirds of our lakes and streams in Minnesota are what we call impaired for mercury. And that means that there's consumption advisories and that you can't eat as much fish as you would like out of these lakes and streams. And so we have a plan to reduce mercury emissions in our state. And um, there's many industries involved. There are the um, electric utilities and the iron mining businesses. And then there's a plethora of other small sources, which include the crematories. So cremation is actually a relatively small source of mercury uh, pollution? It is. In Minnesota, it's about 5% of the total. But of the category that it's in, because we're having such success with the um, electric utilities reducing their emissions, and we have um, we anticipate the iron mines to also be on track to make redu- reductions, that of that other group of, of industries, crematories make up about 16% of the of that group and we're really looking for reductions from that group in the future and may, before we can ask for reductions we need to have better confidence in our data and we're going to move over to Michael to talk about why this study that you introduced here at the convention was undertaken you you had some regulatory issues in the state that you were addressing Correct. So in my role, I serve as the director of the Mortuary Science Program, which is the program that educates funeral directors. I'm also a licensed funeral director in Bomber and a certified crematory operator. And back in 2005, one of our lawmakers in the state introduced legislation that would have required mercury to be abated from uh, individuals, deceased individuals prior to cremation. So the way the legislation was originally crafted, it would have required uh, the funeral director mortician to in some way perform an abatement procedure to remove that mercury prior to the cremation taking place. 
And when uh, that uh, got on the radar screen of our practitioners, morticians in the state, there were a number of concerns. One, well, how would you do it if you had to do it? A variety of questions and concerns came up. And one of the things that funeral directors were concerned about is if, in fact, it needed to be done in some way, what would it look like? And so our state funeral directors association approached our program, as well as the School of Dentistry back, this would have been around 2000 and, uh, 2005, 2006 in that time frame, saying, look, we think there might be something coming down the pike which would require us to do some form of an abatement. If we had to do it, what would that involve? Now, the association also had concerns, and I know that they were actively looking to uh, change that policy and not require it, but, but they also wanted to be certain that if, in fact, uh, it were to be made into law, and for those of us who study policy, you know, things can happen very quickly, what would we do? We wanted to be prepared. And so that's when some of our stakeholder meetings began, myself, along with Sandy Myers in the School of Dentistry, and she'll talk more about her background and work in a minute. We got together with our State Funeral Directors Association and others to discuss, well, initially, if we had to do an abatement, what might that involve? What might it look like? So that's how the discussions uh, began early on, thinking that we might actually have to go and do something like this. And then as the policy went off the table, came on the table, went back and forth, one of the questions that came up on the stakeholders group, and this group was growing, people were interested, not only within the university, our State Funeral Directors Association, the Pollution Control Agency, our whole body donation program, our crematory operators and funeral directors throughout the state were meeting to talk about this. One of the questions was, well, how much mercury do we think might be emitted in the state of Minnesota? We had done some reviews of the literature, had a variety of different proposed or projected amounts uh, taken from a number of different sources. And looking at what was out there, we weren't exactly sure we were, were confident that we could find a meaningful number from our state based on that work, but perhaps taking some of those ideas and building in our own research and our, our own study with that. And that's what led to the project that we uh, undertook over the past, uh, well, about three years now. And I think uh, passed on to Sandy to talk a little bit about what we did and how we got this going. Yeah, Sandy Myers with the School of Dentistry with the University of Minnesota. Most of the mercury that goes out into the world from a cremation originates in our mouths. Yes, the project is very interesting uh, to me because I'm a dentist. And of course, dentists for uh, generations have been putting dental amalgam in teeth. And dental amalgam itself, um, the percentage of elemental mercury is around probably 45%. And then the rest of the elements that go into a dental amalgam are things such as silver, tin, copper, and, and other metals. So uh, when this is mixed up, it becomes almost like a cement that hardens within the tooth. The mercury is trapped in the tooth. And um, the problem um, for us in the environment is when dental amalgam is cremated. And when dental amalgam is heated at about 675 degrees, which is um, not the ultimate uh, temperature of cremation, somewhere probably above 1400 to 1800 degrees. But at 675, the mercury vaporizes and leaves. And um, we've done some research to show that that's true, that there's no mercury left after it's um, had sufficient heating. So what we wanted to do in our stakeholders group was actually look and see if we could get an idea of the mercury load in the mouths of Minnesotans. And so 
we decided that the best way to do that, we, we worked some with anatomy bequest, but that's kind of uh, difficult because we wanted to do a sliver of the population between the ages of 63 and 79. And the reason we chose that population is because it's like one standard deviation away from the average age of death, which was 71. And to get people through the whole body donation process, sufficient number to be statistically significant, it would take a long time. So instead, we decided to use the School of Dentistry charts. At the University of Minnesota, we're very fortunate because we have an electronic dental record. So instead of the students coloring in the cavities and fillings that are in people's mouths, they do it electronically on an electronic chart. So how we did that, we applied for permission because these are private records. And of those patients in our database that had a consent for research, we were able to ask our information technology service to sift through the charts that we have, the electronic dental records, and feed us subjects until we had sort of a rolling admission that when they came in, we looked at them. They had to be between 63 and 79. They had to be a Minnesota resident. They needed um, to have, um, you know, the, the data complete there. And then we would uh, take a snapshot of their dental record. And that dental record, we were able to record things like dental amalgams and also record uh, crowns, which we noted in an increased abundance in this age group. So the bottom line for the results is after counting all the amalgams in this 1,000 individuals, we came up with 7,401 surfaces of amalgam and somewhere about 6,700 full crowns. And uh, that was an analysis of over 20,000 teeth and took a long time. That's a lot of teeth to count and, and measure of the amalgam of. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more in detail about what this all means. How do you get people to pay attention to advertising about end-of-life issues? Mortality Minute opens a bold new opportunity to reach local consumers on their favorite radio stations. Each Mortality Minute spot offers a light look at serious subjects related to funerals, cemeteries, and other issues most people don't consider until someone dies, when it's too late to be prepared. Listeners will actually enjoy and look forward to hearing the quirky topics in this affordable, professionally produced ad campaign. Each spot includes a 10-second slot for interested listeners to contact the sponsoring organization. Customized video versions are also available for your website or Facebook page. To learn more, contact Gail Rubin at 505-265-7215. That's 505-265-7215. Welcome back. We're talking today with Michael LeBrant, Sandra Myers, and Rebecca Place about a great study that they have revealed here at the Cremation Association of North America's convention. And what does it all mean about the mercury that's in our dental fillings, especially with the growing population that's choosing cremation 
and the baby boomer population that is aging and marching toward that final exit. <laughs> for um, This is Rebecca. For our emissions inventory, crematories is one of the only sources that's growing, uh, even though there are so many sources. And so uh, we were very excited to partner with the University of Minnesota and our stakeholders of um, industry representatives um, so that we could find data that we could all stand behind. Could you tell me who the other stakeholders are? Oh, I can't list them all, uh, but we do have Kevin Waterston from the Cremation Society of Minnesota. We have multiple people at the state agencies. Um, we have Lindsay Ballard at uh, Ballard Sunder Funeral and Cremation Services. And there's all, there's many, there's so many. <laughs> well, it's a issue that, yeah, a lot of people have a stake in knowing more about what what we're actually seeing. I was going to add, one of the things I think that has made our work unique and I think quite special is the fact that we got a group together and this group has stuck together and we've continued to move forward. Whereas we've seen in other parts of the country, other groups have gotten together, they've tended to fall apart or some, well, I'm not sure, like that, and then they go. And we were able, through this process, to bring together regulators, state licensing agencies, the university, higher education researchers, the general public, our practitioners, our cremationists, our morticians, and we've been regular in our meeting and the entire process has been one in which we have valued and honored each person's contribution to this. And we continue to work forward because we see ourselves as being the leader in this particular area for this particular subject. And that's why we were honored that we could be here today to have this conversation and to reveal to this group that cares very much about the work that we're doing. And uh, I think, Rebecca, your comments uh, earlier this afternoon about the work that we've done in arriving at a new measure, I think, will be very helpful in advancing knowledge and maybe talk a little bit about that, too. I know we were discussing. Let's uh, hear the results of the, of yeah, the study. Oh, talk yeah. a little. So how many thousands of teeth? To we did 20, over 20,000 teeth. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we analyzed the crowns in people's mouths because so often a crown is put over a tooth that breaks down. The filling is either too big or it's defective. I got a bunch of them. You got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. And so what happens when somebody does do a crown is the tooth needs to be reduced in size. So one of the, I think, a real good message is that the amalgam actually underneath crowns is less than it would be if the filling was there because the tooth needs to be reduced in order that the crown or cap over the tooth will fit down, snug onto the tooth, and the patient can chew. If you don't have the tooth reduced sufficiently, then you can't chew. So we um, performed several experiments to, to quantify the, the actual maximum amount that we could find of dental amalgam under crowns. And we also looked at size difference between teeth in our calculations. And that will be apparent in the report in some tables. But suffice it to say, to quantify the mercury in someone's mouth, we had to combine not only the surfaces of dental amalgam that we charted, but we had to consider that there are a number of crowns that have dental amalgam underneath them. So basically, when we came up with our best case scenario, we added the surfaces of amalgam counted, 7,400 plus percentage of the crowns that we felt had dental amalgam, and then came up with a bottom line of somewhere around 2,200 grams of mercury, which about 2.3 grams per person. 
And this was quite a novel thing because it really made people take up a note as to the statistics that were being used to plot the course ahead for crematoria emissions in Minnesota. And Rebecca can talk a little bit about that 2.3 grams. And I think when the report comes out, for those of the um, listeners that are interested, then it will become clear how all the statistics Mm -hmm. uh, came together. But Can mercury be screened out of the emissions? Mercury can be screened out of the emissions, but it's very expensive at this point in time because it requires a scrubber on the smokestack. And most of those, um, and maybe Rebecca and Michael can chime in, but from my estimations, those are somewhere around probably 400,000, am I right? We had an estimate Very, here today yeah. at half a million, and yeah. I've seen in the literature even uh, higher amounts than that. So if in Minnesota we have 60 crematory physical structures, crematory buildings, some of which have more than one cremator, so we may have 70 or 80, whatever that number might be. Uh, and if you were to multiply, if you were to put a scrub on each one of those at half a million dollars or more apiece, so you're looking at $40 million or more to do that. So there are issues of cost. And in fact, that was one of the things we looked at early on to say that is there some way that we might be able to potentially abate uh, mercury, uh, not necessarily by removing the teeth. And the, and the design folks, and I know Sandy, you can talk about that too, and every working together found came up with an idea of putting something in the mouth that looks a bit like a mouth guard and putting a material in that we think might have the effect of capturing mercury. And we've got started on that and more work needs to be done, but that might be some viable alternative that in the future uh, perhaps will merit additional research work to see if we could do something like that. So let me ask if people are going around thinking, I'm saving the environment by being cremated, and yet they've got these dental amalgams in their mouths, what do and and it's two point three grams per, per person. Mercury, yeah. If you've got a million people being cremated a year, that's an awful lot of mercury going into the environment. Yes, that is. Uh, and the two point three is for our age group, which was sixty three right. to seventy nine. Um, and we do acknowledge that um, there's you know h- higher confidence in our age group, but that when you distribute it per age, um, the confidence level drops because we just don't know how many crowns per person in those age groups are. How many um, surfaces of amalgam. But we did include um, the edentulous population, the population that doesn't have any teeth, into our calculations for emissions in Minnesota, which was the first time, and it's due to this study. So we included the 11% of edentulous population for our age group. And the new number is um, that's attributed to the whole industry is 91 for 2014. 91, which, 91 pounds oh. for the year of 2014. 14 for all of cremations across all ages, which is about 23,000. In Minnesota. In Minnesota. And um, that is down from what it would have been previously to this study, which our estimate would have been closer to 140 pounds. So this is, we're very happy with the results. Okay. So what takeaway should people in the industry as well as in the public take from your study? In my perspective, the environmental perspective, it's that we need to talk about 
phasing out mercury amalgam fillings. We already have them in our teeth of, you know, the baby boomers and other people, but, and that's one issue of how to deal with that. But the other issue is that the insurance companies don't cover the composite materials and the alternatives the way that they cover the mercury amalgam fillings. So that's a change we're looking for in the future. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I would say the take home message on top of that one for me is that a pilot study, um, a research study that's scientifically based can actually make a difference in policy at the state level. And I think that is probably what I would encourage other people in other states to do is work with stakeholders and try to work together with policymakers and try to help each other. And I think if we do that, I think we've only just begun. But I think building on what Sandy was saying, uh, in individual states, this issue has come up. We're talking here about California, as well as some of the other states who've seen this occur. And I think one of the pieces that I've taken from this, and I think it's important that others consider, is that there certainly is, I think, strength in numbers. And there's a value to the process of working with those individuals who have an interest and a stake in this process, beginning a dialogue and continuing the conversation, uh, being honest about what our fears are, uh, being honest about what we don't know and uh, trying to say, well, we'll work toward a common goal. Everybody wants clean water. You know, everybody wants to eat fish uh, and eat clean fish. You don't have to worry about that sort of thing. We all want an, uh, we all want a healthy environment. Nobody can argue about that. And I think as the issue of uh, the abatement of toxic substances, in particular mercury, uh, becomes something we're hearing more and more about in our country, all of us, but in particular those practitioners uh, who have a particular stake in this, whether it be funeral directors, whether it be in dentistry or in others, areas like pollution control and practitioners, we, we need to be talking about this and talking on a regular basis with the goal of making our state and ultimately our world a better place to live in. Absolutely. Well, Michael LeBrant, Sandra Myers, and Rebecca Place, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. You will be able to find a link to your report on my blog, The Family Plot, at agoodgoodbye.com, and uh, I hope you will check that out. Thank you for your time, and live long and prosper. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.